Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, March 4th, 2021. It is a great pleasure to welcome all of you to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. I am so grateful to every one of you for joining tonight. We have the opportunity to study together. What a remarkable, wonderful opportunity for me, and hopefully everyone will be able to benefit somehow from what we discussed tonight. The last two weeks in the Torah, we've been discussing the Mishkan, the sanctuary that God commanded the Jewish people to build in the desert. And the Mishkan had kalim, utensils. And each of the objects and utensils has a purpose, a symbolism, uh, the aron, the ark, the menorah, the shulchan, the table, the mizbeach, the altar, uh, every one of the objects and we discussed all of the objects in the Parsha of Truma two weeks ago. And then last week in the Parsha of Tetzaveh, we talked about the garments worn by the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol, the special garments that were used. And so everything associated with the Mishkan was discussed and described and listed in the last two Torah portions, Truma and Tetzaveh except for one. One object, all by itself, in this week's Parsha, at the beginning of this week's Parsha. God says to Moshe as follows, You should make a basin out of copper for washing in order for the Kohanim, before they officiate in any ritual, they're required to wash their hands and their feet. This will prevent them, God forbid, from dying. This is not optional. This is serious business. It must be there and they must do this. This object, this key or this basin, it's essential. It will keep the Kohanim alive. This will be for Aaron and the other Kohanim, the priests, as a law, a rule for him and his children and every generation to follow. Okay, it's one of the objects in the Mishkan. Why is it in our Parsha? Why is it the only object that is described by itself, apart from all of the others? This one in our Parsha, what is the message of this that is so different and special, it needs to be separated from everything else? The message is, you can't just walk up to holiness. You have to wash first. Before you approach holiness, serve God, you have to wash your hands and you have to wash your feet. You have to prepare. Holiness does not come down to you. You have to rise to meet it. 
You can reach it. Anyone can reach it. But you have to stretch. And if you're not willing to stretch, if you're not willing to make it a priority, if you're not willing to take it seriously, and again, with the promise that you will succeed, but if you're not willing to stretch, you will not connect with holiness. This is true of the Mishkan and the Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. It's true of the synagogue. It's true of every aspect of Jewish life. It requires effort. It requires energy and preparation. We will help you. You will succeed. But you have to try. You have to stretch. Because if you don't stretch, well, there's still a lot that you can do. You might be entertained. You might even be inspired. But you won't be transformed. You won't reap the benefit and make that transformation that is available through holiness and you won't be able to pass it on to your children without putting in effort, without stretching, without preparing. This Shabbos, we read the third of four special portions. This Shabbos is Parshas Para, the passage of the Para Aduma, the red heifer, the red calf. It describes a ritual of purification for a person who has become ritually impure. And it involves this animal, which is extremely rare, a calf that is completely reddish in color with no other hairs of any different color. And there's an elaborate ritual that goes along with this. And a person who is tame, ritually impure, has to appear before the Kohen, the priest, on the third day and on the seventh day. It's an involved procedure. Now, we do not have this paraduma. It does not exist today. We have not had it since the base Amigdash was destroyed 2,000 years ago. And... We don't understand it because the way it works is so mystical, is so uh, surreal. We don't completely understand why it works this way or how it works. The Talmud famously tells us that Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of men, King Solomon, couldn't figure out the internal logic of how this ceremony works. And it's about an animal that nobody has ever seen. Have you ever seen a calf that's completely red with no other colors in it? So let me make a suggestion. Let's get rid of this reading. Why are we reading a passage from the Torah? And we read it every year. 
and we're reading about something that makes no sense to us, that we do not understand, and that is not applicable to us. So, there's a phrase in the Talmud. It occurs thousands of times. Students of the Talmud probably don't even notice it. It is so ubiquitous. The phrase is Tashma. Tashma means come and listen. It's the standard opening to a discussion. Tashma, come, let's discuss. Listen, let me explain it to you. Tashma is also an attitude that is essential to Judaism. Come, ask. Something doesn't make sense. Ask. Consider. Let's discuss possible understandings of it. Because often there is an answer. Often there is a reason. There is a significance that will resonate with you. Maybe at the first moment it seems impossible to understand. But Toshma, come, listen, consider. Perhaps if you stretch, you will see meaning. You will see wisdom. You will see significance. When the Beis HaMikdash was standing, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, every Jew in Israel traveled to Yerushalayim for Pesach. Amazing. Every single Jew gathered in Jerusalem for the holiday of Passover. There was the ceremony of the Karban Pesach, the Paschal offering that was the main meal at the Seder, the mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel to go pilgrimage, to go up, to travel to Jerusalem. Magnificent. Imagine the entire Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem celebrating Pesach together. May we live to see it. But if a person was tame, ritually impure, and most people would have been tame, there is a seven-day procedure involving the paraduma, the red heifer that we read about, and that procedure was necessary to be released from being tame, ritually impure, and becoming tahar, ritually pure, and enabling you to be able to participate in the rituals and the holiday and the sacrifices and the observances of Pesach. So, three weeks before Pesach, an announcement was made. Pesach is coming. It requires preparation. You need to start now. If you just show up on that day, you won't get in because it requires at least this seven-day process of purification just to be allowed to come in. So you have to start now. You have to get ready. You have to prepare. 
Because if you try to show up without any preparation, you won't get in. You won't understand. You won't appreciate it. We use the same reading today for the same message, even though the specific ritual about which we read is no longer applicable today. But the message of the reading about this very unusual process of the red heifer, the message is Pesach is in three weeks. And if you just show up at the Seder, chances are you'll be bored. You'll be hungry. You'll be uninspired. Chances are you will wish for the Haggadah on one foot or the five-minute version. And you may be amused by it, but you won't be transformed. The message of reading the Parsha of Para this Shabbos is similar to the message of the Kior, the basin, in our Parsha. It's a reminder between now and Pesach, you have three weeks. Stretch yourself. Read a Haggadah with a new commentary. There are more commentaries written on the Haggadah than any other Jewish book. Attend a class. Attend my classes. And there will be plenty of them between now and Pesach. Of course, there is room for ritual to be creative and spontaneous and accessible and fun and empowering. All of those things are very good. But you have to stretch to be holy. You have to stretch to benefit, to enjoy it, and to pass it on to your children. And for that, there is no shortcut. This year, a major part of our preparation is attitude. <clears throat> Here we are again, another Pesach living with COVID, Another Pesach on top of all the anxiety we already have. Another Pesach alone or without our children or without our grandchildren, our friends. As we approach Pesach this year, many of us have an attitude problem. So first of all, let's remember, we got through it last year and together we will study, we will inspire each other, we will have some leniencies again this year and we're going to do okay, we're going to make it. But first, 
And at every step along the way, we have to pay attention to our attitude. Now, I've shared this idea with you before, but Rabbi Malik Biederman expresses it more simply and more powerfully. So, I have here a blank sheet of paper. I have a green pen. And this is what I did to the piece of paper. So, Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler showed a piece of paper like this to a man, and he said to him, what do you see? And the man said, I see a green dot. Rabbi Dessler said, but don't you see the rest of the paper? Don't you see all of the white? All you notice is just the small green dot. But that's human nature. That's what people are like. God does so much chesed for us. So many kindnesses God does for us. So many miracles. We have so much to be thankful for. But we hardly notice it. We forget all the things that God does for us. And we focus on that green dot. The part that's not right. There was a boy standing at the bus stop. And the bus pulls up and the driver sees the boy is crying. So the driver says to the boy, why are you crying? And the boy says, I don't have the money to pay for the bus ride. So the driver says to him, it's okay, come on up. I'll take care of it. It's okay. It'll be okay. I'll take care of it. The boy gets on the bus. He sits down. They're driving for a while. A few stops go by. People get on. People get off. The driver looks in the rearview mirror and he sees the boy sitting and he's crying again. So the driver says to the boy, now why are you crying? And the boy says, because everyone else that got on the bus, you gave them change, but you didn't give me any change. This year, each of us has legitimate reasons to complain. Some of us have suffered terribly. Some of us have endured painful losses. Some of us, our lives are on hold. Some of us are having difficulty with children, with parents, with spouses, with finances. Some of us just have difficulty holding on. Yes. And yes, there are plenty of green dots this year. Some of us, they're smaller. For some of us, they're larger. 
but every one of us has green dots. But every one of us must also focus on the white, on what we do have. Each of us must also focus on the kindnesses God has bestowed on us. Are we healthy? That's an incredible thing. Did we get the vaccine? It's a miracle. Do we have enough food to eat? Have we grown in some way this year? Are we alive? Our preparation for Pesach these next three weeks must start with a commitment to an attitude. We will not be that boy crying on the bus. We will look for and identify and verbalize what we do have, what God has done for us. And I promise you, if that is our preparation for Pesach this year over the next three weeks, if that is the message that we take from Parshas Para this Shabbos to get ready, to extend effort, to stretch, to prepare for Pesach, at least in our attitude, we will transform what our experience will be this Pesach. So I urge you, Let's stretch to reach that goal. <clears throat> the end of our Parsha, Parsha's Kisisa, records the triumphant conclusion to the tumultuous episode of the Golden Calf in our Parsha, the Egel HaZahav, the Jewish people commit this terrible sin. And God's first decision is to punish them. Our Parsha describes that Moshe intercedes on their behalf to beg God for forgiveness, to beg God for a second chance for the Jewish people. And ultimately, Moshe is successful. And finally, he comes back to the Jewish people with the second set of luchos, the two tablets of stone on which are inscribed the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments, demonstrating that God has forgiven them. That day that Moshe comes back down finally with the second set of luchos, that day is the 10th day of Tishrei. And that establishes for us that day for all time as Yom Kippur, the day of atonement and forgiveness, the 10th of Tishrei. At the end of our Parsha, the Torah says about Moshe returning to the Jewish people that day carrying the two stones, the two tablets of stone, 
The Torah says, Moshe lo yoda. Moshe did not realize ki karan or panav that his face was radiating light from when Moshe was speaking with God at the top of Mount Sinai. Now, this phrase, you may know, of course, is the source of the infamous mistranslation or misunderstanding that Moshe had horns. The word karan, which means rays of light, is similar to the word karen, which means horn. And that mistake we find in Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses, and we find so frequently in anti-Semitic images. But of course, it's simply incorrect. Karan or means radiating light. Moshe returned from his encounter with God, visibly altered, uplifted, enlightened, holy. So our rabbis in the Medrash ask, from where did this light come? How is it that Moshe had this exalted, transcendent visual image when he returned? So permit me to share two approaches that are mentioned in the Midrash with an explanation based on the teaching of Rabbi J.J. Shakta. <coughs> Rabbi Yehuda ben Nachman Omar, Rabbi Yehuda ben Nachman gives the following explanation of the source of this radiating light for, that Moshe had. When Moshe wrote the Torah at the top of Mount Sinai, remember, when Moshe went to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Torah from God, he received the luchos inscribed on which were the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments. And Moshe also began writing the first Torah scroll. And while at the top of Mount Sinai, Moshe wrote from Bereshis up until our Parsha. And then throughout the duration of the 40 years in the desert, Moshe continued writing until Moshe finished that first Torah scroll on the day that he died. But the project was begun at the top of Mount Sinai. So Rabbi Yehuda says, when Moshe was writing the Torah, the part of the Torah that he wrote at the top of Mount Sinai, Nishtayer Bakulmas Kima, a tiny bit of ink was left on the quill. It was extra. Vehaviru al Moshe, and Moshe wiped it on his brow. Umishom nasalo karne hahod. And from there emanated the rays of splendor and light. It's a strange answer. Somehow, this tiny amount of extra ink attested in a visible way 
to Moshe's exalted new status. So our commentators ask a very simple question. If the ink was provided by God, remember Moshe did not carry his supplies up the mountain. God provided it. If the ink was provided by God, who is perfect, doesn't it follow that the amount of ink God provided would be the perfectly correct amount? How is it possible that there would be a little bit left over? A little bit left over means it was not precisely measured out. But God, who is perfect, how could he be imprecise about the amount of ink Moshe would need? It's theologically impossible. So here's a suggestion. Earlier in our Parsha, when God first decides that he will punish the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf, Moshe responds with prayer, entreaty, asking God to have mercy, to give them another chance. And Moshe goes so far as to say, if God is going to punish his people, Moshe says, Erase my name from your entire Torah. I don't want to be anywhere in the Torah. I don't want any honor. I don't want any notice. I don't want anything about me in the entire Torah if, in fact, my people will not survive. Erase my name. Ultimately, God changes his mind and agrees with Moshe and forgives the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. But God also wants to recognize the selflessness of Moshe as a leader, the sacrifice Moshe was willing to make that if God were not to forgive the Jewish people, Moshe would want his name to be erased. Even though that is not the eventuality that occurred, God wanted Moshe's selflessness and sacrifice to be noted, at least in a subtle way. And therefore, God chose one portion of the Torah, the Parsha of Tetzaveh that we read last Shabbos. And in that Parsha, God removed every mention of Moshe's name. In that Parsha last week, the Parsha of Tetzaveh, Moshe's name does not appear a single time. And in this way, God paid tribute to Moshe, who was willing to have his name removed from the entire Torah if God would not forgive his people. But because God had removed Moshe's name from the text of that one Parsha, there was a little bit of extra ink left in the quill when Moshe finished writing. And that was the ink that Moshe wiped on his brow and that transformed into radiance. The message of that is, what is the greatness of Moshe? What made Moshe such a superlative leader of the Jewish people? his willingness to defend them, even when he agreed 
what they had done was wrong. Moshe himself was terribly disappointed and upset at the Jews building the golden calf, and yet he still defended them. And his willingness to sacrifice himself for his people is ultimately what led to this visual image of splendor, radiant light. This answer to the source of Moshe's radiance teaches us the greatness of Moshe's leadership. That's one answer given by our rabbis. But our rabbis in the Medrash share a second opinion. <clears throat> From where is the source of these rays of light? Our rabbis say, Min from the cave. A very mysterious answer. Seems to refer to a very cryptic short passage in the middle of our Parsha this week, in the middle of this dramatic narrative, the aftermath of the building of the golden calf. There is a moment where Moshe says to God, when it appears that perhaps God will forgive the Jewish people, there is, Moshe senses, a moment of grace, of openness and compassion in God. And Moshe has a further request of God. Moshe says to God, Hareini naz kvodecha, show me please your glory. Allow me, Moshe says to God, to perceive more of your essence than any human being has ever been able to perceive. And God grants this request. God allows Moshe an experience to be able to perceive God's love and compassion and perfection at a level that had never been experienced by a human being. God said to Moshe, Place yourself inside this cave. And from the experience of being inside this cave, you will be able to mystically have a heightened awareness of my essence and my nature. And our rabbis say it was from that experience of being in the cave that when Moshe returned to the people, he had this radiating light surrounding him that gave a visible indication that he had come closer to God and closer to an awareness of God's essence and being than anyone before or since. And that splendor came to Moshe from when he was in private, in solitude, in a cave. That is when our inner glory can come from an awareness of God's glory, 
from solitude. Henry Longfellow wrote, not in the clamor of the crowded street, not in the shouts and plaudits of the throng, but in ourselves are triumph and defeat. Let me express this from a different perspective that relates more closely to Pesach. And I share this from Rabbi Norman Lamb of Blessed Memory. On Pesach, we will read and remind ourselves of the 10 plagues the 10 plagues that God brought against the Egyptians that brought about the exodus from Egypt. The ninth plague was the plague of Choshech, darkness. But Rabbi Lamb points out that the plague of Choshech was not just dark, it was also loneliness. Choshech imposed a rigid and horrifying isolation upon the Egyptians. The Torah says, Lo ra'u ish es achiv. One could not see another during that period of darkness. Each person was completely and utterly blacked out of any contact with any other human being. A terrible plague. Our sages ask, What was the source of that darkness? Where did the darkness come from? Rabbi Nehemiah gives an answer. From the darkness of Gehenna, the loneliness of the netherworld a place of punishment. It makes sense. Darkness, loneliness is a terrible plague, a terrible punishment. But Rabbi Yehuda gives a different answer. And Rabbi Yehuda's answer is astounding. Rabbi Yehuda says, where, what was the source of the darkness of this plague? from the dark of heaven. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, Yashes Choshech Sisro, God dwells in secret darkness. Astounding. But the message is that darkness Solitude can be a curse of loneliness, but the same darkness can be a blessing. It can be the intimate seclusion of my own soul and heart as I get to know myself and realize that I am made in the image of God. Loneliness can be painful, but it can also be precious.
Woe to him who is never alone and cannot bear to be alone. And that's why it's so important that even as we seek to banish the plague of loneliness, we must take great care not to drive away the blessing of solitude, of quiet, of being alone. The experience that we are going through now, the experience that we are going through this year as a result of COVID is causing anxiety and fear, especially for those of us going through quarantine, going through isolation. We may be worried about being able to get what we need. We may be worried about loneliness. We may worry about others at risk, but without minimizing any of those very serious challenges that are confronting us, we should also look for ways to make this experience constructive. And I think the most important way is that every single one of us who, for example, is staying home, staying apart from others, should feel a sense of gratification and satisfaction that we are doing something that will help to preserve life, Judaism's highest value, to limit infecting ourselves and others, to give more of a chance to our heroic frontline professionals to be able to provide healing to everyone who needs it. The steps we continue to take, though drastic, though wearying, have this positive aspect. They work. We can help change the course of COVID through our actions by continuing to limit physical contact, by following public health directives, and by getting vaccinated when it is our turn. We can make this difference. And there is another positive and constructive aspect to this period, especially if we are alone this Pesach or with a drastically smaller bubble than we expected, spending most of our time at home. This will be a tremendously important realization, the opportunity to be alone not just lonely, but the opportunity, like Moshe, to be in a cave. Like the darkness where God dwells. In a place where we can think clearly. In a place where we can ask ourselves questions we have never had the chance 
to ask ourselves before where we can connect with God like nowhere else. I shared this with some of you before. The Talmud says, we all know that the Seder on Pesach night, the Seder begins with Manishtana. We ask four questions. The Talmud says, what happens if a person is alone? You still have to ask the four questions. Dr. Abraham Tversky writes, but ask of whom? Of whom are you asking these questions if you're alone? And Dr. Tversky answers, God, of course. You're asking these questions of God because when we are alone, we are truly, deeply with God. God. So much of our lives are filled with noise and interruption. This can be a time when we are able to find ourselves. I've shared this with some of you before. Please listen to this incredible quote from Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor and composer. Stillness is our most intense mode of action. It is in our moments of deep quiet that is born every idea, emotion, and drive which we eventually honor with the name of action. Our most emotionally active life is lived in our dreams and ourselves renew themselves most industriously in sleep. We reach highest in meditation and farthest in prayer. In stillness, every human being is great. He is free from the experience of hostility. He is a poet and most like an angel. We have the opportunity during our aloneness now to dwell with God, to be like Moshe in the cave and like Moshe to emerge from this experience with radiant light, attesting to our spiritual and moral development over this time. I pray that it is true for you and I pray that it is true for me as well. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening and a great Shabbos and an exciting and productive period of preparing for Pesach. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.